Hello and welcome to the Assembly Line, an NES Homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from Kahan Games. I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here to talk about homebrews. How you been, Bo? Kevin, I've been well. I hear you have some good internet now? Ah, uh, yes, I have. For living in the middle of nowhere, I now have better internet than pretty much all of you. Everyone. It's just super, super fast. Right. I don't care about that, but how does that affect the assembly line? Well, well, we haven't been able to record for like two years. We weren't able to record from your house. You would, you would go out into your car and record podcasts on your phone. No, I didn't have a phone that worked then. So yes, I would take my laptop into town and sit in the car and record off of there. Off. Of, oh, and we had a portable internet device, so I would drive ah. that with me, and it was battery operated. Always nice. So there was that. We did that at least once. Um, every time I visited family was also a dual podcast recording trip. Ah, yes. Which got me out of family time, so I'll take it. And then <laughs> at least, no, only once, we I went and got a hotel so we could do an episode, which was very nice. I actually really enjoyed that. So uh, we could do that every time, but our patron is not quite up that much. I wonder how many people can say they went to get a hotel room to record a podcast episode. Well, you got to find those hourly ones. They really <laughs> are great. <laughs> And But now, you know, we've lived here for two years. It's our first house. We're still very excited about it, even though I keep ripping into the walls and changing things. You can see all that on Twitter if you're curious. But uh, this is the first time I've actually gotten to record from home. We can almost guarantee to record twice as many episodes, which would be one out of every six months instead That'd of make once four a year. Yeah, yeah. No, we did two <laughs> last year. Three if you include Christmas. Possibly four if we include January. I don't know. I, I haven't checked. Anyways. Yeah. Here we are. So we've got a backlog of information. I've got a lot of games on the shelf that I've spent a fair amount of money on that have no justification because I haven't played them. I, I don't usually play <laughs> things until we're ready to talk about them. And then I open them up. I go through the ceremony. I play them finally. I'm like, oh, this is great. I should have played this probably three or four years ago when it came out. But whatever. I did notice the uh, the seal Jay and Silent Bob on the picture you posted today. Oh, I did post that teaser picture. Half, at least half of those games are sealed. <laughs> and I always feel bad because people ask me, like, they'll say, did you get the game? And I'll be like, yeah, I got the game. They're like, did you play it yet? And I'm like, um, no. The backlog is real. Speaking of that backlog, we do have a backlog of questions from listeners, and this one, Kevin, would you care to read? I'd be happy to. And I wish I would have written down when this question was asked, but I will just say, in the year 2020. <laughs> I have a way of telling you when that question was asked, but that's my punchline in like eh, 45 seconds, so go. Okay, stand by with the joke. So... Can you explain exactly what Nintendo Age was, what happened to it, what it is now, and what it had to do with Nintendo Homebrew? How it relates to video game Sage, if at all? And what the divide was with Nestev? And that question was from Matt Hewson, uh, which some of you may know, some of you may not. And the end of his question was... 
which we'll we'll touch on this in a bit, but where do you guys actually post stuff and read about things these days? It's all very confusing for someone just getting into this scene. Oh. <laughs> which, here's the punchline. Matt has now finished and released one game and is almost done with another. So, uh, so a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Matt, for the <laughs> timely question. Probably last January. Okay, so maybe not the year 2020. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, in some in some ways, this episode is like the unofficial Matt Houston episode because he's leading us with the question. He may leave us with music at the end. We'll see. And he comes up in the middle somewhere too. It's a uh... god. It's like a bad girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, what was Nintendo Age, Kevin? Oh man, it's like such a loaded question because Nintendo Age and I go way back. I want to say it came out in this this website. Well, let me let me back up. Oh boy. So prior to Nintendo Age existing as a forum slash website slash collecting tool slash whatever it turned into, there was a website called NES World, and that's where I think it's still up, and that's where a lot of us hung out forum wise did you really uh very briefly this is news to me martin's website yes martin's website when i came into the scene that was anyway that's that's the one that i found um and then i was only there a couple months before nintendo age sprouted into this world this guy named dane anderson he liked nes world but he wanted he was a coder so he wanted to code a website from scratch basically a forum where people could hang out, talk about Nintendo NES, and, you know, whatever came from that came from that. And uh, it actually became a pretty a pretty big website as far as uh, NES collectors go, to the point where it had, you know, hundreds of thousands of users, not all active simultaneously, but it was a very, very popular forum. Uh, there were even rumors that... Uh, there were certain celebrities that were members of this website under pseudonyms, so obviously no one would know who they were, but it was the place to go. And then because that was, you know, the forum to go to, obviously um, people started talking about coding for the game system. Prior to that, though, what was the emphasis and reason behind Nintendo Age existing? Oh, Collecting, obviously. Not only collecting, but documenting the system in general. I think people were just discussing general everything about the NES. In a different way that, like, Nestev documented the internals of the NES. Nintendo Age, on the other hand, documented what the release, what happened. You know, photographs of yes. uh, the launch in New York revision listings five screw three screw guides like anything that touched on the aspect of owning these carts was fair game like that's what they existed for and it was fascinating yeah i mean there were people that somehow tracked down lists of every person who got a, a nintendo world championship cartridge gray and gold and they were tracking these people down to see if they still had them in their attics. Like, everything to do with the NES, like you said, was fair game. And then because of that, because of all this collecting that was going on, people started to also trade and sell and buy. And it became 
this great place to I, I, before things like Facebook Marketplace or whatever kids are using these days. Uh, you could basically <laughs> show up. You know, you'd go garage sailing on like sailing. That's always a verb for me. Garage sailing on Saturday, you'd show up on Sunday, post a bunch of stuff. Everybody else would post a bunch of stuff, and suddenly you're trading and you're finding all sorts of new games that you never even knew about. Yeah, it was a magical time. And when the website, you know, first started in 2008, you know, there weren't many people. So all of the people who were there when there were, you know, less than 100 users, everyone knew everyone. Everyone read every post. Like it was easy to keep up with. And it, it genuinely felt like a family. And actually, many of the people that I met at that point are still, you know, active in my life right now. So, um, it was just a really special place. Most of like my adult friends passed, you know, because I haven't worked in like an office. I never worked in an office, but let's call it an office setting. <laughs> and, you know, I haven't done that for like five years. Like most of the adult friends I've made in my late 20s to mid 30s have been through Nintendo age. These are interesting people who we share a common hobby, but we get to know life through. Yeah, and they're coming from all different aspects of life. And I'll just say, I came late into this whole, you know, the Kevin, I hate to say it, you're one of the old timers. Um, <laughs> Starting to get that a lot as time goes on. I mean, I joined in 2013, so that was five years after supposedly the heyday, and everybody's like, oh, it used to be so good, and now it's trash. And like when I joined, it was like, no, this is great. This isn't trash at all. I found a local video game night that I started going to every week. Uh, tons of people that I just met randomly. I started going to shows. And then all the people who I ended up visiting and getting to know like better. And it was, it was still a family. It was just a much bigger, I guess, than your, you guys in your glory days of 100 users. <laughs> Paul Paul is the worst with that. Paul who we talked to not a not infinite NES lives but Campout Paul, which Campout's another huge Nintendo age thing. He constantly, oh, these were the good old days. It's like, but Paul, we're friends now. I wasn't part of the good old days, but that doesn't count. All right. Settle down. But Kevin, anyways, beyond some reminisces, what else do we have Nintendo age to thank for? Well, obviously, as more and more people were finding the site as time went on, and we got to the point where we had probably explored, well, I won't say everything there is to explore because... Not even close. Yeah, things are continuing to go on to this day. But um, Brian from Retro USB posted those Nerdy Night tutorials maybe a year into the forum's exist existence maybe less oh nine yeah pretty pretty quickly so then you know people were finding those and you know working on them so a few of us started posting you know things that we were working on just to figure out you know to work through the tutorials and that sort of over time became a place where homebrewers um started congregating because this was you know, the holy ground of Nerdy Nights, so obviously some discussion was going to go on there. Um, and it was a different kind of discussion than Nestev was having. I, I won't say better, I won't say worse, it was just different. What was the difference? 
Well, I mean, Nestev typically focuses on the technical aspect of things and, you know, figuring out the hardware or, or doing advanced programming tricks because a lot of the people that frequent that site are legitimate programmers that didn't need, you know, a tutorial like the Nerdy Knights to get involved in the system and programming. So it was maybe more basic on Nintendo Age in a certain sense, but I think it was just more general in scope. People were asking, you know, more easily accessible questions that maybe you didn't have to be a programming expert to be able to answer. And you didn't, I mean, for better or worse, you didn't receive expert programmer responses either. Well, I mean, you had you had Brian and you had James um, <laughs> from Australia. You you had some Al Bailey. You had you had a lot of technically gifted programmers there. But uh, that's not what I'm saying, though. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm saying in terms of the tone, the oh. tone they took with you was not that we are these expert programmers, but that you have this question wherever you're at. We'll meet you there. Yeah, and that was huge for sure. Well, for a lot of us, I mean, Kevin and I both learned from the Nerdy Knights. We didn't learn on Nestev. Uh, how many posts are you up to on Nestev, Kevin? <laughs> Were you the one that sent me that graphic uh, a few months back? I think it was like 12 or something. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. I looked today because somebody was asking. It came up in conversation. I'm at 29. Oh, okay. Because, you know, and this this was the experience on Nestev for a while. Now, Nestev is a much friendlier place these days. Uh, but for a long time, if you asked a question, you got an answer that was so far above your head, you would never find your way out. And you can go, if you're ever curious, you can go look at my early questions, all 29 of them. And people were just rude and mean and not helpful. And so... I've never really gone back. Now, I'm friends with plenty of people on Nestev. I mean, friends with people that have founded Nestev, people that are admins, whatever. But it's not necessarily, or back then anyways, it was not the place if you didn't know anything. And I get that because people would show up and they'd be like, I want help with this. And then they'd disappear after, you know, these people poured days or weeks into time helping them. <laughs> it's very rare that somebody has stuck around, ooh, eight-year anniversary for me, uh, and still doing this. Still doesn't have a lot to show for it, but still doing it, regardless. Yeah, and, and, and I will say that our description of how Nestev was at that time, from, I, I, I think that's from our perspective. We could be generalizing a bit, but that is truly, as someone who didn't know programming well, how it felt. When you asked a question, it just seemed like the tone was overbearing. Well, yeah, when you ask a question like about a topic and the first reply is, well, if you don't understand this, then there's no way you're going to understand this. And it's like, well, that's, <laughs> geez, that's kind of rough. Uh, thanks. It was funny because I went back to that topic. It's about the, you know, that torchlight and dragon warrior where you walk around and there's, there's sort of that circle of darkness mm -hmm. or circle of light. Yes. I went back uh, about four or five years later, I wanted to do that trick, and 
I did it. And then I went back and read the post and it was like, oh, if I could have understood what they were saying, I could have just figured it out for myself. So what was the point? Uh, <laughs> but that was, you know, that was the key difference between Nestev and NA is NA Nintendo Age was not intimidating in any way. You could ask the stupidest question, the most obvious thing. You could even post code and people would be like, uh, you forgot a comma here. And you'd be like, oh, comma, gotcha. That was huge too, being able to post code and like, because when you're starting out, you don't know how to a ask these questions. You don't know what you're asking. You know what you want, but... Yeah, you don't even know what question to ask. And right. these people were patient enough to, to work with people that it became this very friendly place. But the other side of uh, NA versus Nestev is Nestev was not at all focused on releasing games on cartridge. Definitely not. And there was... You know, there was Garage Cart, which was not released through Nestev. It was done through Nest World. And then it really took Nintendo Age to sort of popularize this whole games on cart thing. Because it was a website for collectors, the audience was uh, right there. You could just, hey, I'm working on this game. Hey, will you put it on a cart and can I give you money? Now, with this development of being able to put new games on cartridges mixed with the high you know the membership of people there who were there to collect at that time when people started putting games on cartridges was sort of the height well i will say i, I want to say the height of the collecting popularity but obviously it's continuing to grow as time goes on but it got big it's, it's shifted so yeah, it started in, you know, 2007 with Al Bailey and his Sudoku and, you know, the PRGE release, which was very different than the Garage Cart release a couple of years prior. But then with Nintendo Age, things started to ramp up. You had things like Kevin's games, Ultimate Frogger, Sneak and Peek, uh, the 8-Bit Christmas series. And then once, once Battle Kid came out, it just started to grow. And, you know, that was a very user-friendly game because... Not, not if you're playing it. But in terms of the development, uh, it was an open discussion about he wanted input on everything. And so all these people got involved with the homebrew scene in sort of like a uh, you know spectator level. But they also ended up having say in the games that were being made. And so then Civac started doing limited releases. Kevin started doing limited releases. And that really blossomed over the next about seven years it kind of peaked in 2015 and that was you know when you could put honestly you could put anything on cart and you would have an audience lining up just to buy it and pay ridiculous amounts of money for it and that all came to a very crashing halt pretty quick well i want to say that it wasn't just homebrew that was pushing it no, to that no. level because with the advent of being able to put things on a cartridge at a pretty easy user base level people started making hacks and releasing them and that started having a lot of cib releases people are releasing a new game to the end user they don't care what it is it's a new game is it a hack it's a homebrew Anyway, because everyone was just releasing whatever they could to make whatever money they could, because people were buying everything, it basically imploded um, and left us all wondering where we were going from there. 
Well, and also, like, we weren't necessarily the ones charging ridiculous amounts for our games. A user would buy it for 30 bucks, it, in the limited, you know, for 30 to $50, and they'd f- try to flip it, you know, the next week for 300 And that created this very artificial inflation. There was definitely a lot of that. That does sort of illustrate one of the big differences between Nintendo Age and Nestev. Is Nestev said, we're not doing that. Uh, we're here to make games. We're here to talk about the technical stuff. Well, maybe not make games, but talk about the technical <laughs> That's stuff. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> well, because when you put stuff on cart, it has to be finished. So everybody on Nintendo Age had to finish their projects. And Nintendo Age's rule that you couldn't collect money unless everything was 100% ready to go meant you really had to finish it. Like you had to ship it the next day. So we ended up the community like exploded in terms of actual releases. And then once Nintendo age collapsed, the collecting inflation garbage uh, was right about the time we started to see just a huge influx of licensed quality releases Things like Nebs and Debs, Twin Dragons, various others. Micromages? No, yeah, uh, well, yeah, Micromages is about the same time. Lizard. Borderline, like, yeah. And even though like things like Lizard had been funded years prior, like it came out at that time, and suddenly the homebrew scene was like, it went from this sort of kitschy, gimmicky collector scene to suddenly like, these are real games that you should be playing all the time. These are, you know, they stand in your top 10 of the NES ever. And, and many, many games during the collector time were of that level, but many were not. And so once Nintendo Age imploded, as Kevin likes to say, things have taken sort of a different direction since probably about 2016. But then what happened to Nintendo Age about a year and three or four months ago in 20, late 2019? Well, you know, Dane Anderson, who coded the website and was the, you know, the webmaster of it, he, as time went on, started losing interest in NES collecting because he had a complete set and he had everything there was to have. And, you know, the website was basically self-sufficient as far as running itself at that point because he had moderators and administrators and people doing the day-to-day. He posted like twice a year. Yeah, I mean, as the years went on, he went other directions with his with his time and attention. So after a couple years of that, I guess he was just done. So he decided to not only sell his collection, um, but he sold the website with his collection uh, to a guy. Company. Yeah, guy slash company. Um, and basically washed his hands of it. And I'm sure he has not lost a night of sleep because he made, you know, quite a pretty penny. I don't remember what the, the number was, but it was, you know, new sports car type money. <laughs> I don't think I ever, I mean, I never saw a number, but, uh, and, and the Go Collect is the company that bought Nintendo Age. They are very invested in comic book valuations and uh, they run or are some way related to heritage auctions uh, an auction website that takes commissions on things seeking to do what they did with comic books to video games and i'm not going to say much more that sounds very negative but all of this was posted publicly on the old nintendo age forums so yeah it was bought out 
Yeah, he said he bought it for the database, the video game database, and he wasn't going to delete any old posts and you know, there were promises made. We don't we don't need to get into the nitty-gritty, oh, but uh goodness, there were a lot of promises made. We woke up one day and we're told that in less than a week uh there were going to be changes and one day we woke up and nintendoage.com was redirecting to gocollect.com and then later that day uh the forum completely changed its look and there were no old posts to be found and from this um abrupt change a new website uh was brought forth and let's talk about that bo yeah that was a hard night the night that vid or uh, Nintendo Age disappeared was just like whoa. This was a website that it wasn't just a forum. This was a place that a lot of us spent every day on for many years, like all day. Uh, this these were our friends. This was our community. But yeah, and to have it bought and sold, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough to think about. It's like still you better. said. We we. We met our good friends there. We spent, you know, a decade of our life there. It's just crazy that one day it was gone. Evan, where'd you meet me? Uh, right outside Canada. Oh, uh, <laughs> not in person, in general. On Nintendo Age. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird to think that, that that a video game website would have this giant impact on one's life, but it did, and now it's gone. Well, yeah, but people did not want to lose that feeling because there were lots of other people that had similar feelings to us. These were their friends. They didn't want to lose this sort of camaraderie where you can go somewhere every day and, you know, hang out with friends virtually. Um, so a new website was built to, as an alternative, I will say, to the new Go Collect website um, called Video Game Sage. An alternative the entire staff left nintendo age and founded video game stage yep speaking of which i i think i was on staff there for uh, a week or two how'd that go well that brings <laughs> us that brings us to the next question and so video game stage had a promise to continue what nintendo age meant to be and and the people that we may or may not have disagreements with, they're still friends. They're still uh, people we like. We just have different viewpoints or or emphases. And uh, the the question is then: Is video game sage the new Nintendo age? And as much as it wanted to be, and probably still wants to be, for many of us, it was not. Nintendo Age had been on a downward spiral for many years in terms of its attitudes towards uh, certain topics, certain behaviors, and those things, instead of being purged from Video Game Sage, were actually reinforced. So many of us have left. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a lot of the the personalities that were sort of becoming stronger uh, in Nintendo Age's final years, they were the ones that were, you know, very gung-ho about keeping that sort of scene alive. Um, so Yeah, and I'll be specific. I mean, it, it's it's the whole preference for 
we all just need to get along. There shouldn't be any disagreements or genuine discussions. And if somebody's being a troll, we don't ban them. We kind of take the white gloves and just let them stay. And, and we, we, we cater to them. Well, when you cater to the trolls, guess what? People are leaving because <laughs> it's not a nice conducive. I know you're laughing at me, but it's true. Like this, this is why many people have left. And so sadly, uh, at least for some of us, video game stage has not become the new Nintendo age. Kind of left without anything. Yeah, but I feel that Discord and Twitter, to some degree, have scratched some of those itches that the lack of forums have left me with, anyway. Yeah, Matt's last question was, where do you guys actually post and read stuff these days? It's all very confusing for someone just getting into the scene a year ago. So, yeah, you post where? Twi- or Twitter. Where, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I only post on Twitter now. Yeah, I don't I don't browse any Nintendo forums these days. Sadly, I loved the forums. I, all these people like spoke bad about the forums. Oh, forums are dead. They're going downhill. They don't have a future and it's like, yeah, you're the people that are making them that way. You just show up. It's like a nice running conversation, a catalog of all we've done and been and Yeah, <sighs> that's probably what I missed most, like being able to go somewhere and post just a small question or, you know, something with more substance than a throwaway tweet. But I don't know, like there's, there's, there's this void, the small void that I I'm missing that I would use forum posts for that. I just, it's sad to be without that. A greater than 140 character uh, void. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, and it was nice because Nintendo age never locked threads for being old so somebody could ask a question about background loading in 2009 and it could be picked back up again in 2017 like there was no like well you're necro posting no it's alive to you and uh, was Absolutely. i think sort of the the philosophy there but yeah so kevin posts on twitter he's doesn't do facebook um Actually, same for me. I have a Facebook page, but my wife said she was going to run that, and then she didn't, so I don't ever <laughs> check it. Uh, so I post on Twitter. Uh, both of us are always... Uh, we, I think we're both on the Video Game Sage chat or Discord, but neither of us post there. But if you need to find us and send us a personal message, we're both there. Uh, very accessible, obviously. Yes. You might have to tag us, but we'll definitely see it. No, no, if you don't tag me, just private message me. Jeez. I, I don't know. It's sad to me. That's what I miss about the forums was a nice public place to slowly start engaging with people that wasn't this big, intimidating, like cold call. Hey, how you doing? I'm so-and-so. Uh, although I <laughs> guess I did send a lot of those messages to people. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to go back to uh, where I met you. And that's uh, right. that, that was... <laughs> Uh, we need to move topics, I think. Uh, that's our NA history. And that's our version of NA history. It's, you know, different things to different people. But um, Matt, if you haven't figured it out in the last year since you asked your question, that's what uh, Nintendo Age is. That's what Video Game Sage is. And that's what sort of the key difference between Nest Dev and Nintendo Age was. Yes. That went way too long. Sorry about that. 
<laughs> we, I feel like we had a lot to, you know, it did Nintendo age did not end well. A lot of us have left video game stage not well and they're purging staff still. But that's sort of an old forum that I, I guess it's still around. You can still access it, but it's not the same. Yeah. And I mean, there were a lot of emotions. I mean, that, like I said, that was a can of worms that we could probably go all week on. Oh, yeah. And just in relation to how important it was for the homebrew community, let alone everything else. So we're here to talk about a game today, right? We are. Not just a game, a good game. Dare I say, a great game? Well, uh, we'll find out. (laughs) I don't know, 30 minutes or so. But until then, I believe this was the, as you like to say, darling of the 2016 Nestev competition. I love to say that it was the darling of the Nestev competition. I always forget which game you refer to that with. I I think it's Project Blue, (laughs) because it didn't win, though many of us would say that it should have. That was many years later. 2016, the darling was... Oh, please don't put me on the spot like this. Twin Dragons! Actually, the darling would have been the runner-up, which would have been Nebs and Debs, but we're going to talk about the winner of the 2016 (laughs) competition, which was, yes, Twin Dragons by... Thank you. Broke Studio. Yes. Antoine from La Francais. Uh, sure. Can you say that about the country or just the language? La Francais. I only ever took reading French, not speaking French, so I just made up my own pronunciations. The entire country of France is laughing at me right now. It's cool. Whatever. They're pretty big homebrew fans, the French as a whole. Yeah, they're, they're taking over. I don't like to stereotype an entire country, but it's like Indiana, Pennsylvania, all of France, and then other places. (laughs) All right, so, Kevin, our age-old question, which you've had a long time not Oh, don't make me. Don't make me do this. I want you. I'm going to help you here. I want you in the most basic terms possible to describe dragons two dragons jumping okay on platforms and breathing fire or ice that's it you said basic i didn't say that basic (laughs) there are levels (laughs) okay so yeah it's hey Twin Dragons is a... uh, Nothing nothing uh, changes. (laughs) I love that this is becoming a thing. It shouldn't be, though. I I feel like some of these things people might suspect that this is... We're just putting this on as a show. (laughs) If you can't tell from his voice, even with my editing, he's not faking. No, I'm not faking because still to this day, I don't know what you want. You lead up the question like the answer should be like, here, I set you this silver platter, take from this tray. But like, (laughs) where I think the tray is, it never is. Every time I try to give the answer I think you want, it's not what you want, and you mock me. I guess that's because I type up my notes, and maybe maybe you don't. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not saying. 
But I'm going to tell you what I have here. Okay. The horizontal scroller, uh, both left and right, uh, which might be one reason why it scored a little better than Nebs and Debs in the competition. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uses smaller 16 by 16 characters. It's not the larger Mega Man style. It's more like the small Mario. Uh, you collect items, things like chili peppers, hearts, big hearts, uh, hatch chilies. I don't know if that's the technical term, but they're red chilies, and I'm going to call them hatch chilies, even though hatch, are hatch chilies green? Uh, I don't know. From the south. Yes. So yeah, hatch chilies because they're they're red. Uh, Kevin affirms. Uh, nobody from <laughs> nobody from Tennessee dispute that. Uh, there's different gameplay modes, environments, such, and you also have two characters to play through the game as both Minky and Dinky. Uh, one is green, one is pink, orangish, depending on your CRT or AVS, uh, whichever. Sorry, HDMI, because you may not have an AVS. You may have skewed higher or lower than that price margin and um yeah they're and they're both trying to get to a tower like uh that's what i'm saying this 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 very basic rundown was quite detailed so it's still i don't understand didn't you see in my notes i have a section called further which means further exploration of gameplay topics so you just touch on one quick thing from every category and then you're learning. Going to detail. You're learning. Okay. Yeah. I, like I it, yeah. think. All right. Tune in next time to see if yeah. I get it right. See, next time I'll do it first. <laughs> <laughs> so the narrative is very neat uh, because it's not told through text. It's all through cutscenes. No, again, text. So it's it's all visual. It's all show me, don't tell me. Basically, that's that's what I was going for. Show me, don't tell me. Like it. So we've covered sort of the basic gameplay. Uh, you know, it's nothing nothing that you haven't seen before. It's running, jumping, shooting. Uh, there's some interesting additional features, which, again, are why I think it might have helped it to win the Nest Dev competition, because there's technical things like there's little slopes in it, there's moving platforms, there's platforms that, like, you stand on and they fall, classic Mario, Bucky O'Hare, you know... It's nothing out of the ordinary that you haven't seen in most platformers from the NES era. And that sounds negative. So tell me more positive things, Kevin. Well, first of all, let me, I, I will say you said that a lot, none of this has, you know, none of this is new. Everything's been seen before. But I don't remember any NES games, platformer wise, that I grew up playing where you start out going one direction. And on some levels, you might wind up vertically above where you started out and you finish the level back on the left. I, I don't remember uh, yes. any wraparound. So there were very unique level design choices made in this game. But but backing up for a minute... Mountain World 3, I like it. Yeah, but just basic gameplay things. I think in two-player, you each play one of the siblings, but in one-player, you can switch whenever you want is that right i was not able to switch so that was we'll, we'll get into some of the negatives but yeah you play through all of the green dragon all of the pink dragon orange red whichever depending on tv and then you play uh, several levels where you can switch between the two on okay the fly. 
Yeah, that's that's what it was. I couldn't remember. I couldn't figure out if I could switch at one point, but just didn't realize I could prior. I really like that though. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to be able to switch between characters. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I didn't mean that none of this hasn't been seen before because you know all games we're pretty much making these days have been seen somewhere. Sure, I just meant sure, sure. If if you're if you like. NES platformers, you're gonna love Twin Dragons because it, it. Oh, absolutely! It has everything that they had plus some extras. Yeah. So you you mentioned the different powers between the characters, right? Yes. So you can either pick up I don't remember what you called them, but the red chili pepper, which will allow you to spit fire. Um, which does what, Bo? Uh, the fire, I found it to be, uh, it does more damage, and it is also yes. a larger larger shot. So, was the the other one looked like ice cream to me? Is it ice cream? Uh, it's I, To I shoot ice? It, it gives, I hope it's Minky, the female pink, orange, whatever color it is, dragon, uh, gives her the power to shoot ice. Yeah, and so you can freeze enemies. But what do you what are your what are you picking up to get that ability? Oh, oh, Does yeah. It look like a popsicle. Or yeah, it looks a... like a popsicle. Okay. Maybe it's a frozen hatch chili. You're from the south. You make the call. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a big. Sh- I'm not a big cooker. Cooker. Wow. Yeah, you you normally <laughs> you normally eat frozen hatch chilies frozen in ice, right? Yes, absolutely. Hatch chilies, uh they're frozen. They look like popsicles. But yeah, you have the red chili pepper that allows you to spit fire, and then you have uh the ability to shoot frozen spit, which you can pick up uh popsicles <laughs> and do that. Yeah, so you have the two dragons. Uh you play through uh, what is it? Nine levels? Well, sort of nine levels. So an interesting thing Antoine did is that the Kickstarter, he did two... We'll get more into the release details in a bit, but there were two different versions. There was an orange cart, there was a green cart, and the, the regular gray cart. But the orange cart had an extra level for Minky, and the green cart had an extra level for Dinky. And again, I hope I'm getting the names right. And so normally you'd have uh, three worlds or nine levels for each character before they sort of meet up and do things. Uh, But you get an extra world or three levels plus a boss with each of the colored cartridges, uh, which was sort of fun. I had to finally like ask him like, hey, which was the secret world? And he was like, oh, this one. And it fit in with the game so seamlessly I didn't even realize, uh, which was fun. (laughs) <laughs> and so you play through these levels and then, yeah, they meet up and there's bosses all along the way. And yes. Now, Kevin, what there is something about this game that you should probably know going in, right? The difficulty level thing. Yeah. yeah. You, you want to be a man, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I wanted to be a man until I put it on regular difficulty and basically got my ass handed to me like i was struggling to get through the second world not the second level but the second world um i got to the boss but it's like it took me probably well i don't want to say how long because people are going to make fun of me but it took me a long time to get to the boss of the second world so i 
remembered that there was a difficulty option, so I went back to the title screen, put it on easy, which pained me to some degree because, mm-hmm. I don't know, there is something <laughs> emasculating a bit about playing it on easy difficulty. Gamer's pride. Yes, there's pride involved, but I don't care. Like When I put it on easy difficulty, the game became enjoyable to me it wasn't a chore like because i was playing through it obviously for the podcast and i was like i'm gonna push through whatever it's for the podcast but when i put it on easy actually loved the game so i recommend if you got the game and perhaps only tried it on the regular difficulty um and if you didn't enjoy it or thought that it was harder than you would like it to be fire it back up put on easy makes a world of difference like I said, I, I don't open a lot of my games till we're ready to play them, and you know, they may not be to my liking once I finally do that. Uh, and this one, <laughs> uh, so I, I sat down. It was uh, I think like a Saturday morning. I always like playing games on Saturday morning for some reason. I wake up at like three, four a.m. and I just play before the wife wakes up, and then you know I fall back asleep, and then eventually get up. It's sort of fun. It reminds me of childhood in, in a way, I guess. Um, I got to the fourth world. I got to the first world of Minky. So I, I completed all the dinky levels and I was like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. And then Kevin was like, I'm doing terribly here. I don't know what to do. And I was like, I am a better gamer than Kevin. He's number six in the world in Frogger, but he can't beat Twin Dragons World 3. All right. And then, then I returned to the game and. Ooh, Things got tough. Uh, the first <laughs> first Minky World, I, I I couldn't beat the boss of, and I tried many times. I was like, I'm I'm not having fun anymore. And I looked through my notes, and my notes were like weighted with way more criticism than praise. And they were all things like, oh, the game plays slowly. Uh, yes. Enemies take too many hits. You die too easy this and that it was just like this laundry list of things that like should have been corrected and i was like i, I guess i'm gonna have to try easy because i need to finish this game and everybody says it's great so i either suck which is i'm not good at play warmers so that's not out of the wheelhouse but kevin wasn't doing well so <laughs> you know and i played it on easy and suddenly the game was lively it was quick it was fast paced it was enjoyable i was doing well but not like so well that i was just blowing through it it was fair and balanced yes i would also recommend playing it on easy take that <laughs> as a as a hit to your pride just just enjoy it yeah you don't have to worry about every little hit that you take because on regular i i think you have fewer hearts so you can't take as many hits and it's like I'm dead. I'm dead. You'll have to like stop to try to hit. Well, this is how I was playing. I had to like stop, try to kill the enemy who had just came on screen, then advance, then kill the next enemy, then advance. Like it was like you said, very slow. Because yeah, enemies take fewer hits, you have more health. Uh, one of the things that I love that Antoine did is that enemies move off screen and back and keep their same health. So it's it's not like the cheap Mega Man thing where it's a brand new enemy every time. It's the same enemy, and you can chip away at him. But the problem on normal mode is like you had to sit there on the edge of the screen and just like kill him and then progress. Whereas with easy mode, you could actually you know fight them and you know interact and dodge and you know 
jump around and shoot and you know have a good time i guess is what i'm saying those dragonflies were tough to those are the ones i'm thinking of yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's exactly what i'm thinking of dragonflies so that's that's my only recommendation is if you start to play the game you don't really enjoy it switch back to easy and and see how that goes agreed I did like that there were or not we're not even into the likes yet, but just with in terms of regular gameplay, like I said, there were different modes. Um, you had things like I am using mode in the incorrect way, but things like ice or uh, water, or different environments, uh, which yes, having just gone through the rigorousness of the trophy release and testing and seeing all that Derek did, it's like I appreciate every last one of these ridiculously irritating things to coat uh it just makes perfect sense yeah that sky the the flying levels that the flying levels they we'll get into that in a bit but my god i i love them love them and just such a great change up like you're just playing along and then boom here's a whole nother way to play the game and again and again and again yes yes good stuff uh, one other thing that Antoine did with the uh, Kickstarter release, and I don't know if this was in... Uh, I hate to say this, but you know I have three copies of the game, the two colored cartridges and the gray. I got a little problem. Wow. Uh, and I, well, I was supposed to give the gray to Matt Bepp, but uh, I just didn't. I just was like, oh, I'll just complete the set. I'll just keep it here. He never paid me anyways. So... I haven't fired up the gray. I don't know what's on the regular edition, but on the Kickstarter ones, there's a special game called Pair the Dragons, which is like the old memory match. Yeah, you can play this little mini game for fun. It's not part of the game. Yeah, it's not part of the game like in Super Mario Brothers 3 where you got extra lives or bonuses. But you can play it. You can play it against uh, Solo, against the computer with like... Five or seven different difficulty levels and then also against a friend so that's that's sort of fun just you know a nice little feature and then there's also a jukebox sound test so you can listen to the music uh track by track if you so choose man i'm bummed i don't have that copy now <laughs> well well that was another nice thing with the kickstarter backers is we also got our name in the in the credits so so how many games this is a tangent but how many games do you know of that give you bonus material in the special editions ah because that's a really good idea so it is and it isn't because you end up rewarding people that know about the project right now and you end up sort of shafting anybody that comes later and you also kind of end up your best version is probably not the one that you're going to take digital. You're not going to promise all these extra rewards for Kickstarter backers at special tiers and then go ahead and release it to everybody with the ROM. Like that kind of burns anybody that uh, supported you. So Antoine, to his very great credit, uh, as far as I know, has stuck with that. Like you can only play these extra levels if you have that colored cartridge. So there's uh, three levels on a boss on the orange cart, three levels on a boss on the green cart that are not on each other, and neither of them are on the gray. And then also these extra mini games. Uh, it's 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 difficult. No, you're right. You're bringing up a lot of points I never considered. So uh... well, 
I've been wrestling with them with my big RPG because there's a lot of extra stuff I want to put in, but it will cost more money because I'll need a bigger circuit board. Mm. And if I only do that for the limiteds, I can't justifiably do it for the ROM. And so Antoine here, his like analyzing his what he's had to do is just like, oh boy, what do I do? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Either way, you're going to piss someone off. Pretty much, yeah. And that's why I love the homebrew community is we have we have all the licensed games to look at, sure. But when you actually look at homebrew games, you can go into why did this person do exactly this in our present time? Yeah. So, Kevin, talk to me about the art. I'd love to talk to you about the art. So I will say, overall, I was impressed uh, with the art in this game. I think it is very polished. But what I like most, I would say, is his background art. He does this really cool thing, and I, I have a hard time explaining exactly what I'm talking about, but he'll take tiles that are in, say, the foreground of the background. That's sort of a contradictory statement, but hopefully you understand what I mean. And he will sort of make patterns almost like shadows on the wall with a different palette. Um, and I think that mm. his color choices on the backgrounds are very striking. And I was just overall impressed. Um, one small criticism I will say is he, in, in one of the worlds, he had some mushroom looking platforms uh, that looked very similar to some mushroom platforms from some Mario games. So I thought that it, was slightly unoriginal on some of the stuff, but overall, the art I thought was very, very unique and very creative. Were you playing on a CRT or HDMI unit? Uh, I was actually playing on a laptop screen. I was playing the Mac version. Okay, that'll be a digital version then. Yes. Sorry, that was a long digital statement screen. of saying. Digital screen, yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't know the terms either. Well, I was playing on a CRT, and so my one criticism i think i only have one uh for the backgrounds was that some of that stuff you just talked about blurs together on a crt Mm. and you can't actually tell what's the background and what's the foreground oh i did notice a little of that in the later worlds um i started having trouble here and there um especially the the green water oozy level anyway Oh, see, I ran into it with, like, the spikes in the ice levels. Um, Mm. But, like you were saying, his choice of colors is phenomenal, barring the uh, background objects that aren't really there or are there. But anyway, uh, yeah, his the mountain snow level. Yes. That's what I talk about when I mean learning from from current devs. It's like, man, he used really good colors. Uh, You'll probably see those colors in a future (laughs) SGP game (laughs) because they were well done. And the enemies, I thought, were gorgeous. And there's one in particular that I think is freaking cute. It's that little blobby thing that turns into the the square that basically oh, is in, impenetrable. Yes, it's so cute. That's my favorite enemy. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And a lot of the enemies reminded me of almost Kirby-like enemies in yep. terms of both their color and their art style. Uh, the thing that is in the water that shoots the projectile four directions. Mm-hmm. It's like a little jellyfish or something. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that could be in Kirby. It's that good. I think visually the game is, I mean, 
again, I, I hate that I've kind of downplayed how great the game is so far with the gameplay, saying it's, you know, you've seen it all before. It's also very well done that you don't notice it. You don't, it, a lot of games you play and you're like, oh, have they just done this better? You don't ever have to say that with Twin Dragons. It's all just done so well. It's hard to even talk about uh, whether it's good or bad because it's just so good. Uh, but visually, the game, yes, yeah, stands head, head and shoulders above most homebrew games, many, yeah, most licensed games because it's a big library. You fire the game up. He has this logo that shoots across the screen, which is very neat. Uh, now I can't steal because I've seen it. The uh, title screen's got some raster effects with the reflection there, which you don't normally see in games that actually work on hardware, which uh, kudos. And then yeah. those cutscenes, they're animated cutscenes. I loved that. And also, uh, Kevin didn't mention it, but when you get the power-ups or when it talks about different moves, it also does so in a non-text way. There's like a sign, you press up next to it, and it shows you a diagram of what to do. And it's all just so cute and colorful. Uh, there's a map screen. There's title cards before every level. Uh, oh, yeah. Animated background elements all throughout the game on almost every mm -hmm. single screen, including those title cards. Like, it's just a sliver. It's, what, a sixth of the actual screen vertically? Yeah. A little cutout, and it will still have moving grass on it. And it's just like, man... The attention to detail in this game was so great. It gave me Sonic the Hedgehog vibes um, with those intro title cards. Yeah, which I think is again interesting. I, I don't keep mean to or mean to keep picking on Chris here, but uh, Nebs and Debs is another one that stood out to me with its title screen or uh, title cards uh, between levels. Was just like those are really cute and yeah. It's it's weird that the same year had these two games that both just kept delivering on the same areas and doing so so well <laughs> and then yeah you might have liked the enemies i really liked the bosses uh they oh yeah were, i mean they were visually very impressive but i also liked the the gameplay around them things like the snowman or the cactus or like cactus round two i forget his name he had some cool name but he was a silkworm and they were just cute and, and relatable I don't know. What's funny to me is I want to say the first four bosses, and I could be wrong, but they all they were all like segmented creatures. And I was like, yeah. is this gonna be a thing in this game? Or all the bosses gonna be segmented creatures? <laughs> Turned out to not be the case, but it was funny to consider the thought. And and well, and they weren't all the same though. It wasn't like you had three segments oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and one kept disappearing like the cactus in Super Mario Brothers 2. This was like the first one was like that, but then the second one you just had to hit his head. Yeah. They were all unique battles for sure. Snowman, I just like. Um it's hard <laughs> to do unique battles like that. Uh so I I thought that was very impressive. But they all always looked good too. Definitely. And can I can I talk now at length about my love for the flying levels actually we should have done that already if you want to now go for it oh my god now i could have been hallucinating but i could have sworn that <laughs> the flying levels were giving off major underwater tmnt vibes of layout oh i don't know what it was and i don't know if i was imagining it but some of those patterns looked very very similar to 
the underwater swimming level in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyway, I just wanted to get that in. The flying levels were amazing. I want an entire game of flying like that. It was so fast. You just had to dodge things. Oh, man, I just loved it. That, that I like games that throw in this new element. Uh, I, it's not quite like Battletoads with the, with the speed car or whatever that turbo tunnel. There it is, turbo yep. tunnel. Uh, but it it wasn't that drastic. It was more in line with with what had been done before. But suddenly you're you're playing this game, everything's normal, and then all of a sudden you can just fly, and the the levels took on a whole different kind of feel because instead. Did you try to kill everything the entire way up to that point? Um, almost. There were times where I had to sort of just take a hit to to get past something. But yeah, I tried to kill almost everything up until that point. Yeah, it was this sort of like not. It's not slow on easy, uh, but it, it was you know you were just progressing linearly, and then you hit these flying levels and all of a sudden it's like, I'm not even going to bother. I'm just trying to get <laughs> through this as fast yeah. as possible. I'm, I might take one hit, but then sometimes you wouldn't take any hits. And it was just like, Oh yeah, I'm doing quite well. I like this. They felt intense, man. It was just fast. And so yeah, anyway, flying is awesome. I need entire games of that type of flying because it was so much fun. Well, so that's art. What about music? Well, this one... How do I say it? I didn't love the music to start the game, but that could have also coincided with me playing it on normal difficulty and getting really frustrated. (laughs) When the game started moving more fluidly, I guess I didn't focus on the music as much because I was enjoying the other aspects of the game more. Um, but aside from all that, I will say the music toward the end of the game, I did find myself enjoying more and more and the boss fight music I enjoyed across the board. Yeah, it had a lot of, uh, sort of bright, upbeat tracks, very reflective of the environments in terms of the bright colors and, and the cute graphics or characters, uh, the loops were a little short on some of the songs, particularly the early levels, where they got kind of overly repetitive too quickly. Uh, but then, and this is hard because you know you want you want a game to get better the further you go, but you also want to hook new players by putting your best foot forward. So, do you put your best tracks in the beginning or do you put them in the end? And Twin Dragons really seemed to put them more toward the end. A lot of the songs that I I really enjoyed were, what, World 4 and Beyond? Yeah, that's... And the ones that really I wasn't feeling so much were, like, Worlds 2 and 3 and maybe 1. It it is nice. Did did the version you play have the jukebox feature? Mm, If it did, I didn't notice it. Okay. Uh, well, I know on the special edition carts, there's a jukebox. You can listen to the songs, and then you can sort of quickly go, oh, yeah, I love these ones, or I want to listen to these ones more. And But like Kevin said, you know, when you're irritated with a level because you're not doing well, or it's tedious because it's taking too long because the enemies have too many hits, um, 
it uh it wears on you a bit more yeah, yeah everything starts pissing you off at that point <laughs> yeah pretty much uh one nice thing though was that and i love when games do this all games should do this and not just because when when mom comes around and you want to need to stop playing but when you press pause even as an adult you have wife kids whatever you want to be able to focus on them sort of for a moment <laughs> and you want to press pause and have the stupid music stop and twin dragons does that excellently so you want the music to stop when pause is on yes is that oh that that is a pet peeve gameplay feature of mine like if you pause and the music just keeps playing it's like why am i pausing Okay, I see what you're saying. Well, because you want to be able to turn your attention to something else, and you also don't want to like have the same music playing for five minutes while you check your phone or internet, because we clearly had those as kids, and um, <laughs> just be irritated by it by the end of it, you know? Yeah, I guess I never thought... I mean, it makes perfect sense. I just never considered to do it that way. Well, Kevin, any game I end up testing for you, I will tell you that exact thing every Please single do. time. Please do. It just makes it more playable. Well, I guess it's time to uh, bring old Antoine on and sort of see what he has to say about the game, eh? Yeah. I'm really excited to have Antoine on here because there's just so much we don't know. I mean, he's there every day, but there's so much on Twitter, Facebook, not Facebook, uh, Discord, wherever. But there's so much that we don't know about Broke Studio, the formation of this game, and sort of what all went on with it. So I, I'm excited. Not only that, he's become one of the major distribution hubs of, you know, across the pond. So he's turned into this juggernaut, you know? Yeah, the Western Block. Let's talk, let's talk. Okay, so we are here with Antoine from Broke Studio. Yes, hi. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I know the time change is never quite easy to work out. It means we get a podcast over coffee, so I always like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you know, you've done, you've done so much in the community over the last, I don't know, four or five years. But, you know, outside of seeing what you're currently doing, I don't, I don't think either Kevin or I know a lot about your sort of background and history. So you'll have to sort of pardon us if, if that's what we tend to focus on at first. No problem. Uh, so I guess, what or who is Broke Studio? Uh, Broke Studio was created uh, with my two friends, Matt and Martin, uh, who worked with me on Twin Dragons, so in uh, 2017. Uh, but now it's, it's me alone because uh, they have a lot of stuff going around and they can't focus with me on the studio. So that's pretty much me alone. Uh, and sometimes my, girl my girlfriend, and when she helps me... Uh, <laughs> Assemble the cartridges and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, you got to have that in there. See, that, I think that was probably the thing that's tripped me up, like even going into this episode was, I think Broke Studio is multiple people, but I also only ever see Antoine. So now it makes sense. <laughs> so does Broke Studio mean that you have no money or that your company is broken into multiple pieces? <laughs> At first, it uh, it meant that we we had no money when we started it. When we started to work on Twin Dragons, excellent. 
and that was Martin who came up with the name. <laughs> and I, I liked it, so, so I kept it. It's pretty much still relevant today. We don't have a lot of money. We, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have more than, uh, than in 2017, but uh, that's not much, but uh, enough to, to produce game and uh, keep, the, keep thing, uh, things going. Well, that's good because I think the competition winnings were what five hundred and twelve dollars. So it's it's good that you're beyond that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty good. So let's start from the beginning. Tell us about your history with the NES. You know, how old were you when you started playing? What did it mean to you as a child? That kind of thing. I never owned myself uh, an NES. Uh, I played a lot with friends at friends. Uh, I grew up with an Amstrad CPC. I don't know if you know what it is. It's um, an old 8-bit computer, like uh, the Commodore 64. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up like this. I played a lot when I was a kid, around five, seven, nine years old. And uh, when I was playing, I I like I like to play games, but uh, the question that always uh, that always popped in my mind was uh, how games are made. So uh, I asked my father uh, about this. And at this time, when you when you had a, an old computer like this, it came with a, a big book, and you could learn how to code in in BASIC. So uh, so I learned uh, I learned how to code in BASIC uh, on the Amstrad CPC. So you're the second European fellow who did not actually grow up with an NES that we've talked to. But you said you, you still had exposure to it, right? Yeah, yeah. I played it uh, at trains mostly. Okay. Were there any sort of standout games that, that sort of stuck in your mind at the time? Games or characters? Uh, we played a lot uh, Double Dragon 2. Ah. Super Mario Bros. 1 and 3. Uh, the... That's really the three games that uh, the, that I can remember a lot. So I mean, you so you played games with friends, but like, was it an important system to you? Like, do you have nostalgia for it when you look back? Um, I don't know if I can say nostalgia, but the souvenir, <laughs> the souvenir I uh, I have with the with this machine are really important. They they are not much, but uh, they are really important. Mm. I don't have many but they're important. So you said you liked playing games. Like, as you grew up, which systems, you know, other than the one that you learned to code basic on, like, were there systems that you sort of moved on to as you grew older? Uh, I had the Game Gear. I played a lot uh, with this one. Oh, wow. I I never hear anybody talk about the Game Gear. That's interesting. (laughs) And uh, I, I moved on pretty quickly to PC. So... What was your first exposure to NES Homebrew? Did you immediately think, I want to do this? Like, what prompted you to want to make your own game? So in 2015, I, uh, I worked a lot with my father, who was trying to build uh, an automated system for his uh, house eater. Interesting. To automate uh, the, the thing. And he, and he had to program a microcontroller. And I helped him uh, a lot on this. And uh, when the project was done, I really enjoyed it, and I was like, uh, I need to to continue uh, to to try to to work with microcontrollers, microprocessors, but uh, with uh, with gaming involved. Hmm. 
So the idea was to to try to to code a game for an old uh, machine. Uh, so uh, the Amstrad uh, CPC uh, came to my mind, and the NES. And uh, the NES is really well documented. There the there is a huge community. So I uh, I focused uh, on this one. So there wasn't a game that brought you into the scene. You just wanted to make an old game and found the documentation and went from there. Yes, and then I, I discovered all the all the homebrews, all the community, all the awesome guys, uh, the the long list of uh, can games uh, <laughs> you can find. So <laughs> that, that that was really really amazing. So did you the the microcontroller programming was that in assembly then was that in C like how did you did you already have assembly language under your belt? I had some experience, but very, very limited. Uh, with the microcontroller, it was in basic. Mm. Uh, my father don't don't, uh, don't really code it in other stuff than basic, so he, he stuck with it. So yeah, I pretty much learned uh, assembly language uh, with the NES. Yeah. Wow. Oh, nice. So with Twin Dragons, that that being your first published project, I know you did some stuff before that with that split-screen scrolling demo, which was super impressive. Your tattoo artist RPG thing, which was also impressive. (laughs) (laughs) But with Twin Dragons, like there were quite a few hands involved. Can you kind of explain the maybe the initial division of labor uh, for the competition version at this point? Yeah. So at first. Someone on the Nesdev forums asked uh, for was looking for someone to code a, a Super Mario Bros. like in a very short period of time, and uh, he was French, so I contacted him. the The project never uh, never went anywhere, so uh, I was with uh, I was there with a prototype of platformer, and the Nesdev compo was running, so uh, I thought, why not? Uh, improve the the prototype and uh, and m- make a demo for the for the competition. I didn't think that I could win or or anything, but uh, just uh, just work worked hard uh, to to make a demo. So, uh, but uh, you did the demo. Did you do the art? Did you do the music? Like, what else? Who else was involved? So the art was uh, open source art from uh, Cert, who released the sprite sheet on Open Game Art. And I worked with uh, Matt, who is the um, a chip tune artist from the band Please Lose Battle, and he made all the music and uh, sound effects. And that's it. We, we were two two of us. So when you were putting together the compo entry, you know, working on the original Twin Dragons, were you able to put like were you able to fit all your ideas in? Did you get everything done that you wanted to accomplish in that version? I think so. The the challenge was to to code a platformer because I never did anything like that before. So uh, yeah, code a platformer from from zero. Uh, add some power ups. Add some basic stuff. Uh, and uh, the the art part was the level design mm. because it's uh, that's not easy. <laughs> no, <laughs> clearly not. So yeah, I think the. The compo demo was as as much as I could do at this time uh, in the short period uh, of time that uh, I had. It was interesting because that year, two two games were submitted, yours and then Chris uh, Cacciatore's Nebs and Debs. That yeah, Nebs and Debs. 
both went on to become these very full games. And so, so it's interesting to see like how much you actually intended for the competition versus, you know, did you, did you always have sort of what it was going to become in mind or did that come sort of after you got this big boost of confidence from, from feedback and winning and, you know, all that? Uh, I think I really wanted it to, to, to be out and to, to, to get feedback from, from players to know if it was crap or, or if it was good. <laughs> and uh, winning the competition was, was a surprise because when I saw Nebs and Debs and uh, other good games, I never thought, uh, thought that I could win. And then after, after winning the competition, I thought uh, that I, I should continue the game and uh, offer a, a complete game, a longer game on a cartridge. That was the, the final goal. So how did you then proceed after the competition? Like, what did development look like in contrast to sort of before? So I, I recruited uh, Martin, who was the, the artist, the, gra- the graphist, to, to expand uh, the, the third sprite sheet, which was uh, limited for a complete game. I asked uh, Matt to compose more, more musics, and uh, we tried to to plan what we wanted to add to the game, what kind of levels, uh, sea levels or not, uh, flying levels or not. And then I, Kickstarter was an, uh, a mandat- mandatory thing uh, that we had to do to produce the game in the end and to, to, boost, to boost us and to boost the, the game visibility. So what hurdles or challenges came up during the expanded development of the full Twin Dragons game? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the more hesitation the better <laughs> <laughs> too, where too to much, start too much stuff yeah <laughs> so martin and matt are great guys very talented but there was periods where they were they were really hard to reach and it was hard for me <laughs> to 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 work with them at some times because uh, i wanted things to move fast and uh, it wasn't possible so when we reached near the end of the project, um, I was a bit worried that the game uh, couldn't uh, been released uh, in time, and we we were a bit late. Level design was a huge hard part, but uh, I think you you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Doing a Kickstarter campaign is very um, it adds it adds a lot of pressure because. Uh, well, people people are waiting for you for your game, and uh, it's it's not always easy to to live with that. No, it is not. So, did it affect your did it affect your friendship with them at all after the fact? No, 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 absolutely oh, not. Good. Uh, good, good, good. I think they they know uh, <laughs> that uh, it's not always easy to to work with with them. They are great guys. I don't reg- <laughs> I don't uh, I don't regret anything. They probably feel the same way about you. Yeah, now, now that is a compliment. They, they know they're hard to work with. <laughs> I feel like Kevin might say that about me sometimes. So I like that. It's compliment. a lot of work. It's it a is. lot of work. Matt, who worked with the, on the, all the audio stuff, he, he knows that he, he works well under pressure. So yet this thing where he waits for the last moment to work on what you, you, you asked him to do. <laughs> uh, but he, he knows it, so, so <laughs> it helps. 
Yeah, at this point in life, we probably know our weaknesses enough to sort of play into them and turn them into strengths. Or so I'd like to think. (laughs) (laughs) You did a special... So the special version of Twin Dragons for the Kickstarter had extra levels in the uh, green cart and the orange cart. Like, how tough of a decision was that to limit those levels just to the people that had backed during the Kickstarter, you know, before word had really gotten out about the game? Um, when I decided to, to make uh, collector editions, collector versions, I looked at what have been done on other uh, NES Kickstarters. What I saw at the time was that usually the collector version was the same version uh, as the regular version, just with some goodies and a different color for the cartridge. I thought that it was a bit, uh, a bit, um, <laughs> Uh, as my wife would say, choose your words. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, be honest. It's not good, but I, I wanted to, to add something more. Yeah, I, I think the, that's it. I wanted to add something more than just a color, a cartridge color. So that's why we, we came up with the two colors for two dragons and a different world in addition for, for each cartridge. I, I got a lot of complaints about it. So I don't know if I if I will... Uh, do it again in the future. Complaints in the NES homebrew community? That doesn't sound right. No. Mostly French people, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, are, what are the complaints, I guess? The, the complaint was just that uh, the regular version wasn't the complete games because it lacks uh, two worlds. Yeah. And I can, I can understand it. That's fair. Uh, on a personal level, though, like where do you fall? Do you do you like sort of collectors things that have extra actual content, or do you sort of regret the decision now? I, I don't regret it because at, at the time I thought that it was a good idea, and I, I think it's not a bad idea. But maybe if I were to do to do it again, not uh, not not exactly like this. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Uh, another character to play and not another world. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm mostly curious. I'm actually asking for personal reasons because <laughs> I've got a similar situation where I want to do extra content, but then I also don't want to burn, you know, a bunch of people who don't either hear about it in time or f- feel sort of slighted for not getting the full game. Yeah. <sighs> Tough choices. I can understand that. In the end, uh, I think it's your game, your project, uh, your hard work. <laughs> so sure you should decide uh, what you think is best for the project. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so after <laughs> Twin Dragons, you then did, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, I'm sure, but Bass Def Adventures? Did I say that right? Perfect. Yeah. Hey, perfectly. look at that. It's just <laughs> it's phonetic. Uh, Great job. What's the what's the connection between that and Twin Dragons? Cuz they're they're both they clearly look sort of similar. Uh can you sort of tell us about that? Yeah, they they share the the same engine, uh, Basdef, which means low resolution Basdef, Bas definition uh, uh long in I French. thought it was like a oh, like a music thing really... like rock and no, roll. No, no. And... I thought it was a fishing game. It's, oh. uh... <laughs> Ridiculous, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Bass definition, which translates in low resolution. 
adventures because uh, it's uh, in low resolution on the NES. Cool. So yeah, they, they, they share the, the same engine. The, the story behind the project is that uh, Omaki Books, Omaki Games, which is a very well-known um, book publisher in, uh, in France. Yeah, I've got a bunch of their books on my shelf. Oh, cool. And uh, Florent Gorge, who, who is the, the manager of uh, Omaki Games, wanted to, to publish uh, comic books, which is called Bazdef, and uh, which is entirely in pixel art. And uh, oh. for, the, for the new book, he wanted to, to make a limited edition of, of a cartridge, a game cartridge for the NES involving the two characters from the comic book. And uh, he asked me if we could just replace the two dragons in Twin Dragons by the two protagonists in, uh, in the comic books. This was the, the first idea, and I, I thought it was a bit sad to just replace the two characters. So uh, I'd offer to, to create new levels, and uh, we ended up uh, making a, a full new game based on the Twin Dragons uh, engine. Cool. So you started off with, with Twin Dragons, your first game, and then you've kind of gone on to do sort of a lot of publishing and distribution. How did that kind of come about? Uh, when I worked on Twin Dragons, one of the, of the Kickstarter goal was to, to really handle almost every step steps uh, of, the, of the production. That's why uh, I wanted to, uh, to design my own PCB for the cartridge. I, uh, I worked with uh, Frank, Frank uh, Westphal. Oh, we know Frank. Great guy, great guy. Uh, thanks again, uh, to, again to, to Frank. So I wanted to, to handle everything in the, fin, well, most of the production. And uh, once the game was released, I wanted to offer of this experience as services for other developers. Uh, on brew makers and uh, help them uh, produce their games and eventually publish their game on the on the Brock Studio shop. This found, sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you've sort of become a European hub for some American developers to sort of offer their releases to make it easier for people overseas to purchase. You know, the shipping cost to be lower. Was that ever a goal for you to, to, to set out and make this service, you know, offer it to other people? Or did it just sort of naturally develop over time? I think it naturally develops over time. When I, when I launched the online shop for Twin Dragons after its release, Micromages came up very early. Uh, I talked a lot with uh, Nicolas Betou uh, about, uh, about the, the Kickstarter they were uh, preparing. I offer my help for the cartridge cartridge production. When I first talked to him, he, he, he told me that uh, they, they wouldn't sell a lot of games, like 200, <laughs> maybe five. And I, I told him, no, that no way. <laughs> no way. You, believe me, you will sell a lot more of cartridges. And uh, yeah, he told me, yeah, okay, maybe 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the campaign was uh, was insane. We worked really close on the on the Kickstarter release. They are really great guys. I think this is where it started to publish someone else's game and to offer the services to to other developers. 
it's cool to hear someone from France pronounce Nicholas's name. Oh, it's so much nicer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. Nicolas Betou. Yes, beautiful. <laughs> so it seems like the number of games that you're offering, it's just only continuing to grow. Like, is this your main gig now, or do you have a day job and somehow at the same time keep up with all the order fulfill on the side? No, it's my main gig, as you say. Um, <laughs> it's my day job. Uh, I, I had the chance when I worked on Twin Dragons to work uh, 100% on it. Uh, I didn't have a day job uh, at the moment. So uh, I could uh, I could do that at the time. At the time, it it was a bit uh, harder when uh, after the release because we just we just bought uh, a house and uh, we had wow. a lot of work to do in it. So uh, it was pretty hard to to handle the the shop on one side, the work on the house on the other. I know that feeling uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, but I, I really don't regret it. I'm really happy uh, where I am now. I'm really happy to help uh, other developers. Uh, it's a, a great adventure. And uh, thanks to, to other developers, to you two guys uh, being such an inspiration and, uh, and really gives me uh, a goal. <laughs> Seems like you've been on your own vast deaf adventure. <laughs> hey <-o. laughs> So what is the, I guess, what's the future hold for Bro Broke Studio? You're, you're doing, you've had your own games, you're doing a lot of publishing, you design your own hardware, like, what's in the cards coming ahead? I'm really happy with what I'm doing uh, with Broke Studio today, but uh, I have to admit that uh, the publishing part takes a lot of time. Yep. It's very hard to focus on developing a new game or working on new hardware today uh, so uh, i have to to make uh, to make choices unfortunately so the publishing part is the most important one because it's important that games are out uh, and available uh, i try to to code a bit when i when i got uh, when i got time but it's very hard to to stay focused uh, for the hardware part, uh, I had to to ask someone for some some help because I couldn't handle handle it myself alone. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. It's pretty hard. <laughs> so do you like? Have you had the time to play a lot of other homebrews from other developers? No, and that's something that I, I'm trying to correct today. So on the Monday. Uh, every, every Monday at uh, nine o'clock uh, in French time, uh, I stream. I try to stream on Twitch and play homebrew games. I played uh, Trophy uh, not long ago. Oh, that's right! Thank you for doing that. Yeah, it was very fun. A very good game. We played a bit of uh, Papi Commando, which is a new uh, Mega Drive game uh, on the on the shop. Uh, we played a lot of. Um, Compo, NSDEV Compo games. Sometimes I play alone, sometimes I play with my girlfriend when we have two player games. Nice. So we last time we played, uh, nothing good can come of this. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and we had a lot of fun. Award winning. <laughs> for the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except very, opposite. Very <laughs> well, then no, I won't. Uh, I, 
I will forego the the questions of your favorite homebrew of all time because I got to give you more time to play them. So maybe yeah. after you finish your next game, uh, I will give you the the those those questions of your favorite homebrew and your favorite homebrewer. But yeah, sure. you might be able to answer this one. What's your favorite type of guitar? I really like uh, Fender, Fender Stratocaster. Good, that's an acceptable answer. But I know you're you're a you're a Gibson guy, right? I am a Gibson guy, oh, yeah. Boy. But I mean, a good guitar is a good guitar. Yeah. No hate. Well, we appreciate you coming on. I mean, is there anything else that you want to say into the world while we got you here? Uh, oh, surely a lot of stuff. Uh... <laughs> 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 Just want to to thanks the the Nesdev community because. Uh, it's really you are all great guys uh, it's really an awesome community i maybe want to to talk a bit about uh, roger bidon roger bidon i don't know how you pronounce it and his uh, awesome work on uh, super tilt bro yeah and it's pretty incredible what uh, what he's doing uh, with this project he does some very interesting work yeah the, that's crazy, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hope we 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 will be able to release this game uh, maybe at the end of the year. Who knows? And that'll be an on the first like online homebrew game release or NES release period, correct? Yeah, yeah unless uh, Kevin uh, <laughs> released the unicorn before. Well, we both know that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, we don't know that. We don't. Although I guess, I guess Vi Gray just did his uh, Santa Tracker, which is online. But that, that's not, you know, a game. That is pretty cool, though. Yeah, yeah. He, he only had like four copies, but he's going to do like a full release soon. But anyways, that's the topic for a different day. <laughs> did you have uh, any, you know, looking back on the Twin Dragons project, is there a particular song or two that really stands out to you that you'd like us to play to sort of send you off with? Um, What song? If not, we have some favorites. Oh, uh, I really like the the castle one, but uh, play your favorite <laughs> if you want. Well, that's on the list. So, <laughs> yeah, that was one of them. Oh, okay, we will take that. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, it's great to finally talk to you and get a little more sort of understanding of who you are and where you come from. And yeah, hopefully it won't be too long or too long till next time. I hope so. Thanks a lot for having me and for your great podcast. Yeah, thanks. Au revoir. <laughs> oh, oh boy <laughs> there it is there it is <laughs>
that was pretty great finally being able to talk to him. Uh, that answers yes. so many questions I've had just on a personal level, and which is, you know, the reason we do this podcast. Yes, it's nice to talk, but I, I really just want to learn things, and this is the way to convince people to tell me things. <laughs> and of course, we learn the most important thing that we can say le français when it comes to the country. I suspect we didn't learn that, but <laughs> maybe you did. I learned it one way or another. So, Kevin, in your final evaluation, sort of what, what are the positive, or do you want to do negatives or positives first? We should probably do negatives first, right? Well, I mean, there aren't many negatives. So, okay. yeah, let's just throw out the, the one or two that we have, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I know that I spoke ill of the earlier part of the music of the game but even that mixed with how fluid and cute and fun the game is like it's not much of a deterrent at all like if i didn't have that initial normal difficulty hang up who knows if i'd even focus on the music in any negative light so i don't feel like that's fair to say Um, but overall i think the game is super fun super cute and Honestly, with the multiple difficulty settings, I think replayability, you can sort of take it as far as you want. And I've see, even seen speedrunners on YouTube playing this game. They can beat the game in under 30 minutes. Like, it's it's crazy oh, how geez. fast these people can get through some of these games now. Uh, most of my, like, kind of negatives ended up either being positive or they made sense in terms of the gameplay. Like, Initially, you play through the dinky levels with the fireball power up, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, this game, you know, you get stronger shot. And then you get the girl dragon, and you, your stronger shot doesn't do any damage. It just freezes. Yeah. And the, those frozen enemies don't create platforms. It just stuns them. And you're like, well, this is kind of pointless. Uh, like, it doesn't really have any benefit but the one benefit is if they're frozen they can be hit multiple times in a row so some enemies become reflective for a period of time after they've been hit once but if you freeze them first like the ghosts uh then you can just take them out real quick and so like while it initially felt negative it ended up not not being so bad and actually sort of to an advantage and then another one was that you know we're way well past the licensed era by 30 years in some cases and twin dragons doesn't do some of the stuff you would have expected from a licensed era game. Like there's no recoil when taking damage An enemy hits you. You don't like bounce back. You just keep, you can just keep progressing. You just become invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no instant death from spikes, things like that. Things that would have like punished us back in the day are just absent from this. And really, uh, that kind of makes the game better. So yeah, I was curious if you were using that as a pro or a con. <laughs> well, I thought it was a con at first because like, oh, I should be being knocked back right now because that's what yeah. I'm used to seeing. But then it was like, no, this this made it better, I think. Uh, passwords. Passwords always get me, but at least this game had passwords. Uh, a, lot, a lot of platformers don't have them at all. Mm-hmm. And the only problem with that is you need to... I. Uh, I don't know if most people are doing it this way, but I just take photographs of the screen between levels. And so it only shows you the password on the map screen. So that's when you'll want to take your password or password image capture, whatever. (laughs) 
But beyond those like few things, I mean, I sort of touched on anything else that I kind of had some small issues with, but really, you know, not bad at all. Let me ask you a question, though. Oh, I haven't got to my positives. It f- again, it feels like I'm just saying negative things. Well, Go ahead, though. This is, Go ahead. This is the question that, well, depending on your answer, we'll see which side <laughs> of the spectrum it falls on. How do you feel about water levels? In general or this game? Well, let's start with in general. In general, I do not like water levels. But in this game, you do? Well, this in this game... Uh, the the water level had one of the most interesting features to me in that the rate that the player or the character rose versus to the speed at which they fell was different. So you couldn't just like in Mario, you could just like keep tapping to maintain a constant horizontal. And this you had to strategize or strategize as a W would have said. <laughs> you had to like really like maneuver through those passages and i thought that was that was very well done so a negative turned into a positive again i was just going to say that i just hate underwater levels across the board and when the underwater level in this game popped up i immediately got stressed out and i don't know (laughs) what it is because i get through them it's not like there's some brick wall that i can't break through but for whatever reason, maybe it's because it moves slower that I feel that I have less control over what's going on. I, I don't know. Um, but I just I despise underwater levels. So I'm going to put that one under the con, even though it wasn't game-specific that I hate this game's underwater level. I just hate underwater levels. So, sorry. I thought these ones were, were very forgiving. Um, I don't think i hardly lost one life on a water level uh humble brag huh yeah yeah just full of bragging here because you know you're <laughs> number six in the world in frogger but i'm better at twin dragons so i'll take yeah, it yeah yeah but no overall i thought the game i liked a lot of things it did especially it was very fair uh it doesn't teach you what to do by killing you it teaches you and then lets you try it out to see if you can survive You know, it builds your skills as you go, as opposed to a lot of games do that. They're just like, oh, here's a pit. You need to watch out for these in the future. And it's like, no, this game was like, oh, this thing will fall if you step on it, but it's in a safe area. And now, you know, going forward that you should watch out for that. Yeah, that's good game design. Yes, he had very solid game design. Again, the bosses I thought were just amazing all difficult but fair i mean that's that's where i lost most of my lives were on the bosses uh but every time it was just like i can do a little better and they don't they don't take a million hits too like some bosses in some games (laughs) it seems like they never die like these after you figure out the patterns and when it's safe to shoot they they go pretty quick yeah you'll still you might still take some hits but yeah they uh they don't drag on uh one issue with the bosses was that you end up getting the hatch chili, the red chili, because Kevin knows, uh, throughout <laughs> the levels, and that gives you the power up. But when you get to the boss, usually your first time on a boss is the time you're learning what to do. And so you're going to end up dying on that first attempt. You lose your power up, and so then you're like facing a double disadvantage the second time you play them uh, because yeah, you've lost life true. and you've lost your power up. Then it's like, oh, shoot. 
I did like at the end when the more final bosses, you got the power up right ahead of time because they know you're, or he knows, uh, it's Antoine, uh, you're going to come back and play it several times. Uh, and so that was good. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, yeah, just the memorable levels. I love the mountain coloring. And I really, again, Kevin brought it up, but that level where you loop back uh, across the top uh, was just just great. And then the different gameplay modes, too. I mean, overall, the game left me with so many positive impressions. Uh, a few negatives, just because I'm, you know, you know, analyzing it, sitting here looking at it, going, what could have been done differently? Why'd they make this choice? And they all the choices made sense in the end. And they're, they're nothing that, like is disagreeable even if you disagree with them they don't make for like really a worse experience you know those few background objects that end up killing you even though they were part of the foreground you eventually learn what to do it's just those first few times running into them it's like ah i should have saw that but i didn't because the coloring and now it's like oh no i just avoid those oh i have another question yeah I love that we're just we never discuss these things ahead of time we're just talking about it on the podcast that's how i like to do it so after you beat a level and you hit the final flag, it lets you still run around and oh, shoot yeah. things. How do you, how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I, f- I left that off my negative list. That was that was irritating because not because there's any level where you hit the flag and you're going to die, but you can still move around. And if you fall into a pit or get hit by an enemy, which there's very few ones that have enemies on the screen still, you can die. The only time it was irritating and the only time it ever came up was like, I wonder if I can die right here. <laughs> yep. So of course I had to try it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not ideal, but yeah, I, I think I, I love the ability to do it. Okay. All right. I guess that, like you said that you can, if you're super uncareful, it's not even uncareful. The music plays for a little while. You have the freedom. You want to sort of screw around, and then you get yourself in trouble. I'm just, at this point, I'm just nitpicking, but it's that's just me on the spot trying to come up with things. There, there really aren't many things that I dislike about this game. It is very, very good. That's the thing. Every every criticism I have is just like a small nitpick. Those don't count. This thing stands head and shoulders above most licensed era games and most homebrews. It's great. Loved it. Agreed. Agreed. Well, if your your famous question. What's your favorite homebrew of all time? <laughs> no. Oh, you mean the release format question? Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, depends on who you ask. So. If someone wanted to purchase this, a copy of this game, physically or digitally, do they have any options? Oh boy, Twin Dragons has had quite a few options uh, so far. Initially, it was released in one, the Nest of Compo in 2016, which meant it was out. The in Darling? The, the Darling? The da- no, the Darling's number two. That, that's Nest of Debs. Damn it. Well, it's your way of sort of giving a nice. Uh, a consolation prize, I see. Pat on the back, sure. <laughs> so this came out in winter 20 of 17. I think Antoine like dropped it the day before the competition was done. And that version's free Smooth. to download. It's also uh, available on the Action 53 Volume 3 
it's it's on that cartridge so you can play it that way uh the competition version now so shortly after the competition uh antoine did a kickstarter for twin dragons because he wanted to expand it he wanted to see what else he could do with it obviously he had a solid game having just won the competition and the kickstarter had the digital version uh, which can still be purchased the regular edition which can still be purchased the two limited editions the uh, orange and green and then sort of post kickstarter you know he's gone on to do a lot more than just one game he's doing all all the not all the uh, a lot of the eu publishing and getting stuff uh, sort of across the world he's got great shipping rates and and all that uh, he's also started doing Famicom versions of things. And so he has a store, uh, brokestudio.fr, uh, France, or as you would say, Kevin? Le Francais. Yeah, that, that thing. Um, <laughs> so brokestudio.fr. And you can actually find things like Micromages, Nebs and Debs, uh, Lizard, Project Blue, uh, some Genesis games, parts if you want to make your own games. So yeah, if if you want to get the game, it's still available digitally or in that regular edition. Uh, there's also a book which he alerted me to the other day. I haven't, I ordered it. It's in transit, but I haven't got to check it out yet. But it's like kind of like the old Nintendo Power layouts uh, for just Twin Dragons, and yeah, I'll be really curious to see how that looks. It's, I guess it wasn't that cheap, but uh, and the shipping was not that good on it. But uh, he he's not dis- distributing that, so nah, can't can't hold that against him. But uh, one thing I did notice uh, is with the competition version, if you play it, because uh, you know that's the easiest one just to download and play for free, it is vastly different than the finished one. He released or he entered it in the competition, you know, the day before the deadline. So he was clearly rushing to to make sure it was in on time. But mm-hmm. it's different in almost every way, except one. Uh, the music, oddly enough, is identical. Uh, so you're playing this, like, what feels to be kind of a very competition-esque game. And it's got this very refined music, <laughs> which makes for <laughs> sort of a strange feeling. But, like, a lot of the levels are similar, but then a lot of refinements. Uh, gameplay is somewhat similar, but then, you know, additional moves are added in the final version. And then graphics too, like you can tell where he had the existing graphics from the competition version and then just like made them a lot better. And then um, there's also player select in the competition version, which I thought was interesting and odd that it was missing in the regular version is that you had to play through all of Dinkies, then all of Minkies, and then play the joint levels. Whereas in the competition version, you could play Dinkies first or Minkies, like you played one or the other. Uh, which is just sort of interesting. So if you do end up downloading that version and checking it out, that's that's just like a taste of, of what the finished version is. And also, if you're looking at the finished version going, wow, I don't think I can ever enter the Nest Dev competition. This game is way too good. <laughs> go back and look. At, and that's me saying that uh, on a personal level. Go back and look at the competition version and realize like, where games come from, how they come about, and... Just, yeah, it doesn't have to be like this licensed, finished quality game to uh, score number one. It just has to be really well done and in the ways that it can be for the compo. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about playing good games, but it really makes me 
want to make good games. I uh, that's that's why we do this, man. Uh, it it's Twin Dragons is one of those games where you go. This isn't outside of somebody's grasp. I mean, no game is, but you know, sometimes when you have a giant team, this is like one person, a musician, an artist, maybe another person, some testers. This is feasible, and, and this is. I mean, if I made a game like Twin Dragons, that's pretty much all I'd aspire to. Although, of course, Absolutely. it'd have to be an RPG. Uh, but <laughs> I'd die a happy person then. Well, hopefully that day is coming, Bo. Not you dying, but you releasing a massive RPG, because that's the well, day that I want. We are getting there. We are definitely getting closer. Every year, I need to take an update of where you are in your giant RPG. <laughs> and I'm going to take like a, a clip of every year when you saying it's right around the corner, and it'll be like, you know, 20 years of right around the corner. Yeah, we're on. I crossed this morning. I crossed build forty (laughs) seven hundred, and I didn't keep track of the numbers for the first two years. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, incremental changes. It's a big game. Uh, Well, hopefully. Is that what you're working on now? Oh yeah, yeah. I guess it has. It's sort of. Tr- it's going to be tricky here. We're going to try to sort of catch up over what we've been up to the last uh, nine to eleven months over the next couple episodes. <laughs> but I, I guess, yeah, I, that's what I've been working on lately is my untitled Soul Goose RPG. Crickets on that. Jeez, I can't believe I still don't know the title of this game. It actually has a title, but I haven't announced it, so that's why it's... No, I know, but you've even withheld it from me, and it really pisses me off. Oh, this isn't that? You've made fun of the title, so this is that. Although, you tend to forget things, so who knows. Anyways, I like calling it the Untitled Soul Goose RPG, because, you know, there's that Untitled Goose game. Yeah, the Untitled Goose game is the one that I'm talking about. Yeah, that's that's why I like calling it Untitled Soul Goose game. Ah, so funny. I know. Um, but yeah, I, and actually my goal is to enter something in the Nestev competition this year, like a small slice of it. Ooh. But we're at a month and 10 days tomorrow, so we shall see. <laughs> a lot would have to, either a lot would have to come together during that time, or a lot would have to be cut from what I wanted to be in a demo. Uh, but it's that's been my like push for the last four or five months, is knowing that the competition was coming. It was like a nice concrete goal. And so that's sort of what I've, I've shot for, which is what the competition's all about, an excuse to finish games. Absolutely. I hope that you release something i hope that you get what you want in time and if not maybe next year well if it better not take me another 12 months to finish the demo (laughs) i'd look for the the demo probably in the summer at that (laughs) point or spring maybe but beyond that i've been doing some other things i started a blog uh, on my website uh, which sort of details more in depth with uh some of Various past projects, future projects. The new RPG actually has its name announced on the blog and details if you read really close, because I sort of hit it within another post. Interesting. Yeah, 
uh, and then I, I released Swords of Runes 3 uh, about a month or two ago. Awesome. About a month or two ago. Uh, so I don't remember when I released it, but it was sometime in the last <laughs> couple months. And yeah, that game was done in 2015. It just needed some touch-up and some revisions, and I finally got around to doing those. Even though I lost most of them with the hard drive crash and I had to redo them all, it is now officially done and released. You can purchase it on, on my site. Uh, Human Thomas did the music, which was wonderful. Mm, good guy, that guy. The programmer of Swords and Runes 1. This was another one of his projects that I've sort of redone and just refined. Uh, beyond that, it's just a lot of 6502 collective activities. Uh, we finished Goofy Foot way back in the spring. You know, the release of Trophy, of course. Building copies. Tim has now shipped every single... If you've replied to the Kickstarter survey, your rewards have shipped. Uh, if you haven't gotten your rewards or replied to the survey, please do that. Uh, we don't know how to get a hold of you. This is a last desperate attempt. <laughs> And then we've started some new projects with the collective uh, publishing projects. And honestly, I've just kind of been bogged down with customer service. It's a lot of work. Like marriage. Um, <laughs> oh, Kickstarter. It's, it's a nightmare. But wonderful at the same time. Yes. Lots of good and lots of bad. Speaking of which. Oh, yeah. I have one of those. Yes, you do. Yep. By the time you hear this, it probably will have come and gone, but um, uh, the Pawn Stars Kickstarter that I've literally been waiting all year to do uh, is finally underway and uh, getting close to the finish line. I think as of today, we have six days left. Um, I have three quarters of a pretty sizable email update to send that I have not sent yet been waiting on some pictures to be sent my way but anyway that's not your problem um but yeah since that has been looming you know i finished this game back in march because they told me i had a two-month deadline the episode was scheduled to air this and that um then of course the pandemic hit so i've had this you know knowing it was coming but we didn't know when so I've just been perpetually stressed and anxious, you know, waiting for it, wondering how it's going to go. Um, so while I've been waiting, I've been, it's been too hard to really focus for me on work on anything else. I just, I wanted to be ready when the Spawn Stars thing happened. So it's finally here. Um, it's finishing up. So when this campaign's over, uh, they're going to take over all the shipping stuff. So... It will, I believe, be off my plate, and then I can get back to the brass tacks. Uh, is that a saying? I'm going to use it. Yeah. Uh, maybe not in that way, but yeah. Well, sure. I'm using Roll. it, so whatevs. Uh, but yeah, I've been waiting to get back to Courier, which is a cyberpunk game that John Peekabrews and I have been working on for some time. Uh, we haven't been actively working on it, but it's been on the docket, so... It's going to be nice to be able to get back and able to focus on that 100% without any sort of distraction because it's going to be really good. And I know the cyberpunk theme right now is kind of, well, I would say hot because, you know, with the cyberpunk 2077 game coming out, I know there was a lot of hype beyond that, but that game release I have read has not gone well. So who knows what that will do to, uh, you know, people seeing new cyberpunk 
themed games coming out and if they're interested in them or not. Who's to say? But it won't hurt it. Not a bit. You'll be just fine. I hope I can do it justice. Okay. So uh, I guess we sort of have the same problem with, with the community. I mean, you and I are just two people. We, we're sort of invested in key projects. That's where most of our time has gone in the last probably nine months. But with the community, whew, uh, especially last episode, the re- last real episode, the uh, music episode, we didn't really have a place for what's going on in the community. So we're even more backlogged. But man, there's been a lot. It is a lot. And it's tough because we want to cover all of them in detail. But at the same time, you know, we've been gone nine or 11 months or a year. And it's like, how much time do we want to spend on all this? But let's just go through it and see what comes out. Well, this is only a fraction. We always have next episode, don't we? That's true. Well, this is January, right? So we just had the world-famous retro USB annual Christmas cartridge that just came out. Yeah, and what was uh, Christmas or Xmas 2020? Uh, 8-bit Xmas 2020. Yeah, it was Dr. Covio. So it was a play on Dr. Mario. And honestly, I think it's a much better game than Dr. Mario. I mean, it obviously has a lot of similarities, but... It sort of takes it to the next level with four players, and you can actually control how wide the game field is, and you know you can have simultaneous multiplayer, and it's just overall a, a really great game. And not only does it play well, but the graphics done by John uh, Peekabrews, they're phenomenal. I can't say enough good things about it. I think that it is, and I think I've said this before, it's the best uh, 8-bit xmas game that's come out so the mojon twins are still putting stuff out at an incredible pace uh quite that's a few good. different yeah just quite a few different titles over the last month or not month nine months i'm sure there will be several uh, in the competition uh it's always sort of good to see and i don't know it keeps things alive i've seen some more uh, spectrum stuff from them but that also hits the nes yeah, they do really good work. I love that they're still doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, they reuse the same engines and stuff like that, but they're always adding gameplay aspects or new parts to the engine or story things. They have recurring characters and themes. It's all very interesting. Really pretty, really pretty cutscenes, too. I, yeah. I love their stuff. Yeah, uh, NSFW. You don't want to fire that up at work, but, um, <laughs> you know. Do I? I you need to... <laughs> You need to look into their stuff more, apparently. <laughs> no, I just meant, do I know that it's not safe for work that I shouldn't open it there? I mean, I, I know. Maybe, you I, would maybe know. I just want to open whatever I want at work. Maybe I'm not worried about that. I guess when you're in charge of the internet at your place of business, you can do that. Yeah. Anyway, isn't uh, Mr. Nathan Tolbert, isn't he working on things these days? He is. He's still working on Halcyon. Uh, I mean, he's been working several things including a game for this year's uh, nest dev competition called our yeah, tentatively titled titled at least uh, arcadia which is kind of a four-player kind of like overcooked themed game mm-hmm. clone i don't want to use the c word but eh, clone <laughs> the c <And> word <laughs> the, i told you the c word But yeah, Halcyon is still in progress and the interesting thing 
that I don't know if many people know is if you want a sneak peek of Halcyon, Arcadia, oh, Anguna, um, Anguna Zero, which is an NES remake of his Atari 2600 version, which is in his Anguna series, which was also in the Game Boy Advance, and the 6502 Collective will be publishing that soon. That's the project that we're working on that I didn't mention earlier, but I should have. Anyways, uh, anything that Nathan's working on, you can actually get early access to if you are a patron supporter for him, which I didn't know because I don't do this patron thing. And he keeps saying, well, why don't you check out the ROM? And it's like, ah, because it's all right there. So if you want to play Halcyon today, you can go do that or Arcadia or Anguna or anything. Nice. Yeah. So you just go to Patreon and search for Nathan Tolbert, or do you search uh, for Halcyon? How can you find him? In Google, I typed in Nathan Tolbert, uh, ha- uh, patron, and it came up number one. Mm, number one's a good place to be. Yeah, he's never been one of those people that's all secretive with his name. His blog is like NathanTolbert.com. Okay. Nathan's company is Bite the Chill. Uh, no, it's bite the chili, but he uh, he got his business paperwork back from the county or whatever, and it was bite the chill. So I like to give him a hard time. It's <laughs> it's now it's been corrected. It's bite the chili again. And so if you go to patreon.com slash bite the chili, uh, that pops up right away. And it's like as cheap as a buck a month, uh, which I don't know how patron works. And I should because we have a podcast patron, but Kevin handles all that. I never see it. So I don't know how that works. And it's like a buck a month. I hoard all the money. It buys a lot of Starbucks. I'm sure you do. Just kidding. It goes to SoundCloud. I know. All right. But uh, what else is going on in the community? Is, uh, is that Alwa's Awakening? Is that still being worked on? Yeah. So Alwa's Awakening. That's a hard name to say. Um <laughs> was sort of a NES-like modern game, or a modern NES-like game, however you want to say that. So it is on the NES or isn't on the NES? It's not. It's, it's a modern game. But okay. uh, INL, Infinite NES Lives Paul, he started in his free time demaking it or porting it over to the NES because uh, really? it was very close with its restrictions, and he was live-streaming that whole process uh like once one night a week i think is what he was doing but he he got kind of burnt out on it it just it became a lot of work a giant project much like marriage much like marriage so he kind of had to step away from that but the the i forget their studio name whoever's did alwa's awakening they um really wanted to see this on the nes and they they did a um, a soundtrack through infinite nes lives as well so there was that and that kind of you know a cart release must have whetted the appetite and so they put out a public call for hiring for a nest dev which is kind of rare i to me i think it'd be interesting to work with an actual indie dev not like have this big company sort of approach you and say we want an nes game and we're going to pay you peanuts but like to have an indie studio be like hey we know how hard everything is in life will you help us and i just assumed that that would go a little better but i could be mistaken (laughs) anyways uh that was picked up by brad smith and you know he did lizard and all tons of nest dev documentation and 
just endless things in the community. Moon eight. And, uh, yeah, Brad. Oh, we had him on at some point. Um, cause we, you know, looked at the best NES homebrew today, uh, lizard, but, uh, yeah, he's going to do that. And so it's, it's nice to know that the project, I mean, it was in really good hands, Paul, but it's really nice to know that it's going to continue in just as good a hands and, uh, see through to completion, man, you really know you're in good hands when you get Brad Smith to program your game. Like I'm not worried about that game at all. And I can't wait to play it because I know it's going to be done as good as possible because man, that guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Brad does amazing work. So what else, Kevin, what else has been going on? Well, I mean, I saw that Ellen's been posting some updated art for her project. Uh, project Borscht is the T silent. Uh, it's Franken graphics. Thank you. Yes. You know, Alan. I know, I know, but not everybody does. Yes, you can find her on Twitter at FrankenGFX, where you can see the goods. She's been posting a ton of stuff lately about Project Borscht. She's also doing the art for Halcyon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just an amazing artist. And uh, really another example of someone who just started a few years ago with pixel art and is you know established already as one of the best and brightest she also did project blue uh several competition entries various contributions and now when you say she just started with pixel art a couple years ago do you mean she just picked it up at that point or as far as you know you took notice of her a couple years ago no picked it up at that point no way really yeah, she's got a whole blog that like details all of her uh, adventures in pixel art and even some programming and music, I think. Holy cow. I did not realize she just picked it up. That's really impressive. Yeah, actually, we've played her music. Kali, it's been so long since we've uh, done an episode. I forget that we've, we've played her music at least, I think, twice. Yeah. No, I knew Very that. Very talented I, person. For whatever reason, assumed she was dabbling in pixel art for years and years and years no no just brand new and speaking of somebody that's not jealous at all no no nobody wishes they could just be wonderful like that yes and speaking of like people that are you know getting involved and picking up picking up art jordan davis has started doing uh art for rob for his game the 10th night which is part of the candelabra epic and yes. what is Tenth Night, Kevin? Tenth Night is... Well, you just mentioned it was part of the Candelabra epic, right? Well, yeah, but like Rise of Amandus was a scrolling shooter. Mad Wizard was Troidvania. Astasura was a dungeon crawler. What is Tenth Night? Because Rob can't stick with one genre ever. Well, I think it's going to be... I don't think this one's going to be up your alley. Um, because it is unfortunately an RPG. It is. It's a turn-based <laughs> RPG. He was also working on for a while the uh, Scarlet Matron, which was more of a Zelda-like, but this is right. more of like a JRPG. And so I'm very excited. And in typical Rob fashion, the music is just so already is just a standout. Well, and he's not even satisfied just doing the things he's done in the past. He's going to create sound themes for every enemy in the game. 
And there's which a lot is, of enemies. Yeah, it's not like Mario 1 where there's like, what, eight enemy types? Like, this game has 30 enemy types, and they all have their own unique music cues. Like, it's going to be incredible. Um, and that's just the music. So not even to mention Jordan Davis is doing some really, really cool art for this game. So it's it's going to be a whole new level for Sly Dog. Like, it's, I'm so excited. Plus, it's an RPG, and we already know he can do amazing RPGs because of Black Box Challenge. Like, this game's going to be so good. Uh, see, that's another one of those games where he asks me, what'd you think? And I have to say, haven't done an episode on it yet, so I haven't opened But I'm sure the day is coming. <laughs> sure it is. It's so good. And I told you we would begin this episode with Matt Hewson, and we shall also end the episode with Matt Hewson. Well, sort of. We're just in the ending section. Uh, but he was this fellow who came out of nowhere and started doing this game called From Below. And I remember I saw it on Twitter randomly, and it looked like Tetris, but way better in terms of just visually more impressive. Because it had this sort of kraken at the bottom of the screen that was like animated and moving up. And uh, he randomly messaged me like a week or maybe three weeks later after I saw it. And he was like, oh, I did this. And I was like, oh, I know who you are. Like, I know you. <laughs> you did this. And I screen captured it. And I may someday steal your ideas here. I don't know. <laughs> but he's really like, so he announced the game. He released the game. It went well. It's been well-received. I've got a copy on my shelf. Uh, Thankfully, I was able to get one. And it's a fun little game. It's also available free online. But it was very impressive uh, just how he joined the community, got involved, and then did that. And then he's also been writing some articles. He wrote a very interesting article about the costs of releasing from below, like all that went it and what he might have done differently or what he learned just you don't see a lot of that i don't want to say transparency but like yeah transparency it's uh i liked it because it pointed out the fact that it's not so easy to release games (laughs) yeah he broke down the like per hour rate that he would have like profit wise walked away making and it's uh yeah pennies (laughs) pennies Well, that's pretty much what we're all making. So, uh, yeah, he just he put it in writing for us, uh, which was nice. And then he's now on to his second NES game uh, called Witch and Wiz, which is sort of like a puzzle platformer, sort of like, what would you call it, Kevin? Like Solomon's Key? Yeah, that's probably the closest gameplay-wise I can think of. Or Fire and Ice or whatever. But the interesting thing about the second game, which is called Witch and Wiz, or N, Witch and Wiz, Witch and Wiz. <laughs> uh, sorry, my Midwest accent doesn't always, you know, make these things clear to people. They're like, Witch and Wiz, that's one word. No. You gotta have Wiz. You gotta have Wiz. Uh, one Wiz with. But it uh, started off as a Pico 8 game that he made. He's been making games for years. But it was a Pico 8 game that he's now porting or demaking or however you want to say that to the NES. And that to me is is interesting. It's also interesting that there seems to be a little bit of crossover with NES and Pico 8. And, and for the longest time, it was sort of Derek from Gradual Games talking about Pico 8 a lot. Um, <laughs> but then 
you know, I, I released Study Hall on Pico 8, and now oh, this yeah. sort of Witch and Wiz, and, you know, the Mad Wizard, the, we can even talk about that demake. Like, there's been a lot of crossover lately with um, Pico 8 and NES. It's, it's funny. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's what was interesting is Matt started doing this project right about the time that Derek finished his demake of the Mad Wizard, which, you know, it's not NES news per se, but very interesting to see what the Mad Wizard looks like in on that console, fantasy console, whatever it and is. And it's, uh, it's very, as someone who... You know, I tout Maz- Mad Wizard as being my favorite NES homebrew, and I have for years. So I know that game inside and out. I've beat it many times. Sitting down and playing it on Pico 8, he na- he nailed, Derek nailed the feel of Mad Wizard. It feels exactly the same to play on Pico 8, which is, it's it's a unique feeling because you're looking at the graphics and muscle memory is kicking in and, and taking over the game, but visually it looks a little bit different because obviously the graphic capabilities of pico 8 um are different than the nes um but man it's so fun to play it's still so fun to play well and you know derek he after he did trophy he sort of dabbled in other things like pico 8 with the mad wizard demake or port whatever you want to call it and then he's also now been uh, porting a game called Lynn's Legacy, which was a game he grew up with on, I think, QBasic, and he's porting it to a more stable framework. My hope is that he, in the end, ports it to the Super Nintendo, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It's good to have dreams. I bug him about it like once a week. Well, he wants people to play it and experience it and it be preserved forever. I think a stable console is the only way. The Nestev competition is sort of shaping up. They got a month and 10 days left, as I have made known, because I'm counting. <laughs> and the, the deadline used to be February 1st, and for some reason it got pushed back, I think due to the pandemic, to uh, March 1st. So that's it's like a stay of execution, sort of nice. Get a little more time if you need it. Waiting for the governor to call. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a little more time if you need it. But, you know, like I was pushing for February 1st. And when I found out about January 1st that I had a whole nother month of this kind of extreme stress and work, it was like, oh, that's that's not good news. Mm. Uh, But, you know, these are the things we push ourselves to do. Nobody's making us. I I guess the last thing I want to talk about this episode, because, again, we have a lot of news to catch up on is it's a new game for the NES that I I don't know if many people have heard of because it, it hasn't really been announced much, if at all. It, the project name is Inversion, and it's not the final title. Uh, one possible title is Astray, Unexamined. But have you, have you heard of this, Kevin? I have no idea what you're talking about, so no. It, it's done by a fellow named Jared Hoig, uh, another fellow called uh, Dominic Moeller, and I'm probably butchering the names, but he even sent me phonetic spelling. I, I doubt I got it. Uh, but he his handle is Jacuthiel. He, he's on Discord. He runs the Nestev Discord and whatnot, I think, something of that nature. Um, but they are building 
what will likely be no it'll definitely be the largest nes game to date in terms of uh, memory with the most advanced mapper to date a uh, brand new mapper that they are developing with inl called the mxm0 or memory expansion module and it's as much data on a cartridge as basically a cd-rom 32 times the color density of, of stock hardware or eight times the density of uh the mmc5 like wait what do you mean by color density like like number the the normally you know we're confined to four colors per 16 by 16 area well the mmc5 dropped that to an eight by eight area theirs will drop it i believe to a one by eight area so you can have basically new colors all over the place and the system will allow that to work yeah it's all on the cartridge oh shit okay yeah this thing has full motion video 30 frames per second full motion video which has never been done on the nes like this i think there was some done in legend of link but but not like this and then uh it's being sort of touted as multiple times the amount of data as chrono trigger even with oh and it has full expansion audio of course and and all that uh but even without those two things it would still have more data as you know one of the best any or super nintendo rpgs uh, for many of us anyways it's been in development for about two years and it'll probably take another two years to to complete but it, it should be hitting a crowdfunding source in the next two to three months the hope is and uh, the expansion audio, of course, is made possible with that uh, expansion board that uh, we used for the Zeo uh, album and the Goofy Foot album. It's so all that. That's all technical mumbo jumbo. The game itself is a science fiction action RPG, uh, which is they're shooting for, I think, 15 hours start to finish. And you traverse the world with airship, alien creatures, boats, uh on foot obviously and uh it is just phenomenal i've seen one image and the one image alone stuff that i did not think was possible on the nes well i mean i'm very interested (laughs) it kind of uh i'm trying to wrap my head around this because i'm learning this at the same moment everyone else is now you know how they Um, all feel yeah um i need more information i need to see this image that you've seen um (laughs) i'm scared for the future of nes homebrew like what are the rest of us gonna do now that other people are doing this we'll just keep (laughs) doing what we always do we make the games that are in our heads we want to see this just happens to be what's in their head it's actually done by a team of four full-time people and 10 part-time people wow like that's that's the scale that this is being made on and if you want to follow them to see what they're up to they are something nerdy studios they're on twitter though i don't think they've actually posted yet but you can start following them now at, for updates and yeah it's it's the, I, I wanted to bring up the project just so that we can start talking about it pretty much every episode until it's done because i this one's gonna be big yeah it's safe though i'm super excited god 
sci-fi action rpg i'm in i don't see something nerdy studio on twitter oh check 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 who i've recently followed and it's like number two on there but clearly clearly you're focused right now (laughs) well yeah this is uh this is pretty big yeah yeah it is and yeah it'll change things but it's one of those ways like i mean you just talked about like what are we all going to do a lot a lot of people would say that this you know using this many advancements isn't the nes isn't homebrew with you know a full dedicated studio and all of it just opens up the conversation about what is homebrew you know what's it mean to play a game on the nes so i love it uh, it's it's all fruitful interesting conversation and in the end i think we're going to get an amazing game out of it i mean i hope so and even if it doesn't turn out to be you know because stuff like that expectations can get sort of out of control even if it doesn't live up to what ridiculous ideas i have in my head right now it's going to at least pave the way for something better in the future because people will know something like that is possible and the mapper will have been developed who knows where this could lead so um yeah i color me intrigued and excited i will color you with a one to eight density yes man and sci-fi sci-fi i know we don't have enough sci-fi games Oof, man excited yeah Anyway, let's close this sucker out. Uh, what music are we going out with today? You know, it, it's this is the unofficial Matt Houston episode. Uh, so I think we should do something from From Below. Okay, well, we will check this out. But as always, if you have any questions, you can email us at nesassemblyline at gmail.com. Uh, we will get back to you sooner than one year now that... Uh, we got this ball rolling. Hopefully we can get some more episodes out. You can find us at Patreon at the assembly line. Uh, just search for us there. You can find our Patreon page. You can follow me at a ton of glaciers on Twitter. You can follow Bo at soul goose on Twitter. And we appreciate you all listening. Did I miss anything, Bo? Nope. Sounds wonderful to me. And thank you guys for tuning in and not giving up on us. We will have more (laughs) episodes to come in 2021. And until then, here's some excellent music. Thank you, guys. Um, uh, Music done by Tui.